AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us. Always appreciate you letting us be part of your day. On our program today, and we hope you're having a good one, we're going to talk with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. We have the latest meat export numbers in. We'll see if the trend for strong exports continues or not, and we'll break those numbers down with Dan Hallstrom. Speaking of breaking things down, we're going to take a closer look at the infrastructure bill that has passed, not yet signed, but has passed. And Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, will be joining us. And uh, he'll break this down, what's in there, and especially when it comes to agriculture, um, how it um, will impact agriculture, how it will be used, and we'll have a chance to, to um, look at that a little bit more closely. Let me give, go ahead and give some thought, my thoughts on, on the infrastructure bill that has passed. It, first of all, it was long overdue. I've been in this business and covering agriculture close to 50 years. And for much of that 50 years, been talking about the need for infrastructure improvements, roads, bridges, especially locks and dams. Um, and throughout those years, we have said, if you started today, we'd be behind in, in keeping up with the improvements and updates that, that were needed. So here we are finally getting something passed that should have been done a long time ago, an infrastructure bill. And like most spending bills that come out of Congress, this one has some good things and and really some not so good. Lots in the eye of the beholder, but there are some things in here that really will address, hopefully, some of the issues that we have talked about that have been neglected for years. Roads, bridges, waterways among them, and now, of course, broadband. Hopefully, hopefully, now we'll get the funding that has been needed. And th these are things that agriculture especially has been pushing for for some time. So I'm happy that uh, those needs are finally being addressed. Um, I understand why many ag groups are, are celebrating. My phone has been uh, blowing up as I knew it would with the press releases from groups saying, finally, this is getting done. I understand that. It, these are areas that need to be addressed. So I'm happy. I'm happy that those needs are finally being addressed. But I think there are still some reasons for concern and for some caution here. First of all, don't expect these improvements to happen overnight. As we all know, government moves very slowly, and this bill will be no exception. We start off slowly. Not only did it take a long time to pass, this thing could have passed a long time ago, but, it, but for the political games that were being played. But now, even now, as the president talks about the urgency of getting this bill passed, he hasn't even signed it and doesn't plan to sign it until he can get everybody together that he wants to have a big press conference and show of celebration and all this. So something that is so urgent is not so urgent that he's going to sign it immediately. Well, we've got to drag this out to get all the publicity out of it that they can. That's politics. That's, both parties do things like that, but it's frustrating. Okay, here's my biggest concern, is that we don't know what the final price tag for this bill will be. Now, we know that the infrastructure bill, they say, is $1.2 trillion, and that's a lot of money. Uh, but if the proposed social agenda spending bill that is still being debated, if that's eventually passed as part of this deal, then I think the price tag is too high, even for the much-needed infrastructure improvements. We've talked about this before. You're in, we have concerns, most people are concerned about inflation and pouring trillions of dollars of, of spending, government spending, into inflationary times is like pouring gas on a fire. So that's a big concern. Uh, the other thing is, as we watch this, and we'll watch and see what happens with this other bill, because it, has a, it does now have an even steeper hill to climb. We'll see if moderate House Democrats facing re-election will support the social spending bill. 
And even if they do, whether it can pass through an even more skeptical Senate. Some, and I think wisely, some are calling for a CBO scoring of the bill, something that used to be done all the time for major legislation especially, but has not been done yet. Some are wisely calling for a CBO scoring of the social spending bill, or the Build Back Better bill, as they're calling it, to see if the math actually matches the administration's. And I doubt that it will. I mean, remember, they talked about, the president has talked about, this won't cost anything. And uh, it's already paid for. We'll see if the CBO would agree with that. I have my doubts. And recent election results make it an even tougher sell to get it passed now. Even some of the supporters of the uh, social spending bill acknowledge that, that it's going to be tougher. They've lost their leverage, they have admitted. So we'll see if it gets passed or not. Meanwhile, though, we finally have this infrastructure bill. And as I said, it could have been passed months ago should have been passed years ago. I thought when uh, Donald Trump was elected, the one area they could agree on, I thought, and get something done was infrastructure because it had bipartisan support. Well, we know the politics of those years. And now, even now, you thought, well, you got the president of one party and Congress, uh, you know, has that same party has the House and the Senate. You would think, okay, now we'll get it done, especially with bipartisan support. It drug on and on because they tried to tie it to the social spending bill. Here's an irony of all this. For years, all these years, one of the selling points to get an infrastructure bill passed was it would create jobs. But even with that, they couldn't get it done. Now we finally get an infrastructure bill passed, and what happens? We're living a time when there are all kinds of jobs, but we don't have the workers to fill them. Ironic. This bill, which should be a big boost as far as jobs, leaves a lot of questions like, will we have the workers willing to fill the jobs that will be available, that are available now, and will be created perhaps by some of these infrastructure projects? I hope, I really do hope we can overcome our supply chain and worker labor issues to actually make these infrastructure improvements a reality. But right now, they are not a reality. The bill is passed, it's not signed, and even once it's signed, it will take quite a while to actually get things started and done. And we'll be watching that closely. It will not happen overnight. There's still, and part of this will be even more government control over some of these projects. And again, when the government's involved, that will slow things down. So I hope, I really hope, we can overcome these obstacles and we'll see this infrastructure bill make a difference in these areas that need to be addressed. Unfortunately, recent history has shown us that more government spending does not always guarantee good results. More government spending doesn't solve all problems. In fact, oftentimes it creates more problems. So we'll see what happens here. We'll have more analysis of the infrastructure bill a little bit later with Mike Steenhook with the Soy Transportation Coalition. Up next, we talk meat exports with Dan Hallstrom with the U.S. Meat Export Federation on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. So you're saying I could save some money now by bundling my crop protection products? But I'd miss out on the 5 to 15 bushels per acre advantage from Acuron herbicide? Mm-hmm. And the 4 bushel advantage Saltro seed treatment has over Olivo seed treatment? Yeah. And the 18 and a half bushels per acre advantage from Travipro fungicide? Yep. So the bundle deal isn't really all that much of a deal, is it? Nope. Better yield is the better deal. Talk to your retailer or Syngenta rep to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're putting proven yield advantage to work in your fields. Extend Flex soybeans offer elite genetics built on the proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. In fact, farmers saw a 4 bushel per acre advantage and a 70% average win rate over Enlist E3 soybeans in 2020 germplasm trials. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. 
Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined by Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. We check in with Dan each month to see how our beef, uh, our meat sales are going. And it looks like, Dan, that uh, both beef and pork exports continue on a record pace. Yes, good morning, Mike, and thank you for having me. Uh, no doubt the trend lines we've talked about the last few months are uh, are still pretty robust, Uh you know, we have a lot of momentum that continues to, uh, I wouldn't say amaze, but, but it's been pretty solid. And, uh, you know, we're up, um, September was up 20% on the beef side and about steady on the pork side. And, of course, uh, that's coming off some pretty big numbers from a year ago. So uh, one, one other thing that's consistent is it's pretty broad-based growth across uh, many markets for both beef and pork. And what are the big markets? Well, if you start with the beef side, uh, you know, we had dramatic growth in our largest value market, Japan. Um, you know, Korea was up. Uh, Hong Kong, China region as a whole was up, as it has been the last several months. You know, Mexico continues to rebound. Uh, and then you have some of the uh, Central American uh, markets um, and uh, Indonesia. You know, it's really broad-based on the on the on the uh, beef side. Pork side, the same trend. Uh, we're down in China, which which has been the case now for the last four or five months, down about 20, a little over 20%. But the other markets are making up the slack. And, uh, you know, once again, we're looking at Mexico, Japan, Central America, South America. So that that's the real optimistic uh, note here is that uh, we're not reliant on one market. We're seeing broad-based growth, which is a good thing. And the other thing, although you continually work, of course, to uh, grow demand and market share, uh, the demand is obviously there. Without a doubt. I mean, um, you know, COVID aside, um, the, the the basics are really strong. I mean, you have expanding middle class in a lot of these uh, a lot of these uh, smaller emerging regions. Uh, some of them are not so small anymore, but. Uh, um, you look at a, a market like uh, Colombia on beef and pork. Um, Ten years ago, 2010, we exported about $20 million into 
Columbia for both beef and pork. Uh, our forecast for this year is we're going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $240 million, and that's just into Colombia. Uh, and Colombia is a market that no one talked about much back in 2010. So just one small example, uh, and there's a lot more of them out there that uh, show the same sort of promise uh, as we go forward. I remember many years ago visiting Colombia, and that's when we were trying to get a free trade agreement done with them. Obviously, that free trade agreement uh, has helped to ma- increase their, our market share there, grow that market. Exactly. That's a really good point, Mike. I mean, uh, th- this is, uh, you know, you can have all the demand in the world, but if you don't have access, uh, or at least uh, on a level playing field with our global competitors, uh, you're... you're you're pushing water uphill, so to speak. So, yeah, that's the beauty of having uh, trade relations where you're on a level playing field. Uh, Korea is another good example over the years with the code chorus agreement. Uh, we have the Japan uh, Ag Agreement implemented in 2020. The list goes on and on. Uh, but it's really important to, on the policy, the trade policy side, that we stay aligned and, and remain competitive. We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Uh, Dan, so on the demand side, that's that's good news. The challenges still with supply chain and moving product, and we know those issues. How is that impacting our ability to deliver product to these to these uh, countries? Yeah, this is. Uh, we talked about this the last couple of months now. Um, this issue is unfortunately not getting better. In fact, uh, you could argue it's getting worse. Uh, congestion's increasing. The delays in loading out uh, at various ports is also increasing. It's not just the West Coast. We're backed up in the Gulf. We're backed up on the East Coast. Um, you know, they're still backed up in some of the major South China ports. Uh, it's still a very much a global issue. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we're starting to see examples around the world where um, um, our reputation is probably the most reliable global supplier of beef, pork, and lamb in the world, uh, that's a little bit at risk. Not a little bit. I'd say it's a lot at risk because there's examples of frozen cargo that's being delayed three, four, five weeks um, or worse. There's examples that are even worse. Um, and, and this just is not a good situation. So, um you know, if, if you have customers, and we have a lot of them that are exclusive to U.S. products, we're putting them in a very difficult position because they have a business to run, and, and not knowing when your product's going to arrive is not a very good way to, to run your business. So so we're actually at our annual board meeting this week um, with our membership, and this will be one of the biggest topics we talk about this week is what can we do to uh, to improve the situation and more importantly, what do we do to make sure this doesn't happen again in the near future? I'm assuming the projections are for the strong sales to continue through the rest of the year. But that is put at risk based on what you just said, right? Uh, our, if our ability to, per, to be a reliable supplier is threatened or questioned, then that hurts not only now but well into the future. Exactly right. Reputation is everything, and we already have the reputation as the as probably the the safest supplier of high quality meat uh, around the world. Right? I mean, our our food safety record is is second to none. But our ability to supply was also second to none. Now, granted, there's other you know Australia and, and Europe. They're affected by this as well. Uh, maybe not to the same degree, but there there's a global effect. But the way I look at it is if we can do whatever is possible to lessen the blow of this, uh, this congestion globally to the benefit of the U.S., that will just heighten our reputation even that much more. So, yeah, there's a lot of different levels if you look at this, but the bottom line is um, a sale is not complete till the meat's delivered to the customer. Unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of meat between here and the customer right now that's not getting there. So when we look at these numbers of strong exports, we look at both volume as well as value. Where are we on value? Yeah, value is, uh, it will be an all-time record this year. Um, uh, beef side, we're, we're forecasting that we're going to exceed $10 billion, uh, globally in sales, uh, which would be over the 2018 number, which is a little over $8 billion. 
Uh, on the pork side, uh, we're going to be pushing, you know, seven to eight billion there as well. So you're looking at probably in the neighborhood of 18 billion in red meat exports this year, which uh, uh, which makes sense because we we know that the commodity prices are higher, but uh, still uh, it's exciting. And on the beef side, we're we're looking at um, three different regions that will be two billion dollar market regions: uh, Japan, Korea, and in the Hong Kong, China region. So that's pretty exciting. Do you see any uh, developing markets out there that you're especially excited about as far as their potential? Yeah, I think there's quite a few of them. Um, you know, you look at the Central American region, you know, Honduras, Guatemala, Panama, um, you know, Nicaragua. These are all very legitimate destinations for, for beef and pork that are growing very quickly. You look at... Um, a market like uh, Chile and Peru. I already mentioned Colombia earlier, but Chile and Peru and South America are also very much emerging. Uh, you can't really call them new markets. They're emerging as we speak today. Uh, Indonesia, uh, Australia on the pork side, we've seen pork uh, exports grow uh, in a big way into Australia. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, potential diamonds in the rough, so to speak, that uh, could become much bigger in the next few years. All important, but again, we the headlines still center around China, don't they, and what what they're doing? Exactly, exactly. The um, it is quite the dichotomy of stories because on the beef side, we started at a very low base two years ago, um, you know, almost nothing, and uh, and now we're talking about the region being a one point, uh, well, China itself being one point six billion, and you add Hong Kong on top of that. So it's amazing what the China Phase One Agreement has done on the beef side. Uh, and I give a lot of credit to the uh, former group at USTR and the previous administration did a very nice job on that. Um, you know, and then you know, on the pork side, of course, the story the last couple of years has all been about ASF. And uh, as they rebuild their herds now, the the numbers are still big, but but they're off big. Uh, percentage-wise, off 20-some percent, but still the second largest market uh, or second largest year on pork from the U.S. going to China. So, yeah, I, I've had this question a lot, Mike. Well, how long are we to continue talking about China? I've been talking about it my whole career. Yeah, and I think we're going to keep talking about it probably. All right, Dan, good to talk with you as always. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Dan Hallstrom, President, CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Up next, a closer look at the infrastructure bill. Mike Steenhook with the Soy Transportation Coalition joins us next on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return, and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. Seed corn companies love to talk about characteristics, maturity, emergence, vigor. Those things are important, but at FS Envision, we've developed corn with some extra characteristics, like attitude, like a fighter's will to win, like the spirit to persevere, because in the end, those are the traits that get it done. Get Envision in the fight for you. Talk to your local FS crop specialist today. FS Envision. Never settle. Here's checking markets on AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, today, traders expect increases in soybean supplies from the USDA and have driven bean prices down here the last couple of sessions ahead of this report coming out at 11 a.m. Central Time. So far, though, the sporting beans and corn and wheat are all starting slightly higher. Corn is also expecting an increase in yield, but the story underneath corn is that high input prices could lead us to more soybean acres in 2022. So the core market has stayed relatively supported here as we have worked through some sell-offs the last couple of sessions. Now, private estimates for U.S. yields are bigger. The South America crop is off to a great start. 
And again, high fertilizer prices, it's all increasing U.S. bean acres, supposedly. And most recently, talk is that China doesn't want many U.S. beans. So the soybean market outlook is definitely bearish. While corn could hang in there, wheat futures, we expect a tightening once again of quality global milling weed here on today's WASDE report. So we'll be watching that very closely. Crop progress this week, corn harvest 84% complete, a 10% increase from last week. Soybean harvest 87% complete, an 8% increase from last week. Winter wheat planting was 91% complete, while winter wheat condition was unchanged at 45% good to excellent. A quick check of opening numbers. December quarter up to 553 and a half. November beans up a quarter, 1178 a quarter. December bean meal up a dollar ninety a ton, 333.70. December bean oil up nine points, 5814. December Chicago wheat two and three quarters higher, 770 and three quarters. December KC wheat up three quarters, 781 and a half. Spring wheat December up seven and a quarter at 1016. Live cattle, feeder cattle, and lean hogs all starting slightly lower here this morning. That's a check of the markets. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. On AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's break down this uh, infrastructure bill with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thanks for joining us. I mentioned at the outset, um, I'm, I'm glad we're finally addressing infrastructure. Got a bill passed. You and I have talked about it for a long time. I've been talking about it, covering it with ag groups for many, many years, and we know this is long overdue. Um, as urgent as it is, and the President reminded us reminded us it was urgent to get it passed. Um, it hasn't been signed yet. He's taking his time on that for some big ceremony down the road. So um, <laughs> kind of makes you wonder how urgent he feels it is. But uh, so eventually it'll get signed. But uh, my caution was things aren't just going to happen overnight, right? This will take time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you once the president picks up his pen after signing it, then that really sets some things into motion where then the the various agencies will come up with a list of, of projects that will receive attention. And, you know, for example, the Army Corps of Engineers, they'll, they'll produce their list, what's called their work plan. You know, within, it, it probably will be publicized after the new year. So somewhere in you know, mid-January, I, I, I anticipate, somewhere around there. Um, you know, some of these other projects, you know, there'll be a, a real collaboration between state departments of transportation and the U.S. Department of Transportation, where, you know, a lot of the work that's done in a state, it's, it's really determined by the state DOT. And then the U.S. Department of Transportation will reimburse some of that work. Um, but it's really the, the local state DOT that's really driving the process of what the priority projects are, what bridges get replaced, et cetera. So it, it is a, a pretty collaborative effort. But yes, uh, these infrastructure projects won't uh, suddenly materialize. But I, I do anticipate, you know, during the course of 2022, we'll, we'll see new starts occurring. We will see actual tangible uh, results occurring from the passage of this legislation. From an agriculture transportation standpoint, what do you feel are the priority areas? What do you think will be prioritized with this money? Yeah, the, the, the funding that's being directed toward 
you know, rural roads and bridges, you know, there's a, a, an overall amount of $110 billion that's being allocated to roads and bridges. And, uh, you know, there's a, a language within the, the legislation that, that, that identifies that some of the, the money needs to go to rural areas. And so that's something that's very important uh, to us. Uh, obviously, that's, you know, whether you're from uh, the western part of the corn and soybean belt or if you're close to the, the rivers, every farmer needs to have a vibrant farm-to-market system, roads and bridges. So that's really critical. But we also are very happy to see funding being allocated to the inland waterway system and ports, uh, particularly for an industry like soybean, far- soybean farmers where over half of what we produce is exported. You've got to have that functioning system of locks and dams and, and ports. So we anticipate some some meaningful work being done in that area as well, which which we appreciate. As you look at that waterway system, what areas, if they ask you, okay, Mike, uh, what needs attention the most, what would you say? I, I would start with uh, a project specifically, what's called Lock and Dam 25, and that's the, the, the a lock that was open in 1939, and it's north, about 45 minutes north of St. Louis, and um, a lot of soybeans and corn they get loaded in states like missouri and illinois and iowa and minnesota and wisconsin they all go through that lock and and if you've got a problem at that facility you're going to have uh, some real problems pretty pervasive throughout the industry uh, that that's clearly a priority of ours but then uh, the other you keep working your way north to, to some of these other locks that again were these were all franklin roosevelt administration projects that were built in the 1930s and, um, you know, the Corps of Engineers has done a commendable job of maintaining them, but they, they are dated and they do need to be upgraded and improved. And, uh, you know, one of the things that this year has taught us is that you can have a, a problem at a specific transportation juncture. And if it goes awry, it can have pervasive impact on, on the broader economy and your industry. So we really need to make sure that we're improving the resilience of some of these lock and dam projects. Talking with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, as we look at uh, the funding in the infrastructure bill for the rural um, ag transportation sector, how much of this will be left to uh, competitive bids that the government will decide where the money goes, the federal government? Yeah, I mean, you know, there are some... Uh, provisions that kind of mandate that it has to be, you know, made in the USA or there has to be, you have to have a certain prevailing wage. I mean, there's certain, that language that, that has been in existence and it continues to be, you know, in existence. And that's obviously something that people have been debating for years and, you know, people will continue to debate it. So there, there are a number of these, you know, kind of policies and procedures that kind of restrict, you know, that, that, it doesn't provide unlimited ability for state DOT to do whatever they want. So there are, there are some strings attached, um, but that's been in existence for years. Um, but again, I, a lot of this, particularly when it comes to roads and bridges, you know, the process all along has been, and it will continue to be largely driven by the state departments of transportation. They have a better feel for what projects are really the priorities. And um, so we're really happy that that will remain the case. I mentioned earlier that for years we've talked about not only the need for these uh, projects and the improvements, but we said many years ago if they started then, that would take a while and we'd be behind in, in catching up. So that, that shows this is so long overdue that as significant as these funds will be in these projects, uh, I mean, there's just so much to do. How... how how do you look at this amount of money that's going to be spent as far as the overall need, how much of a dent it will make? Yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll make a meaningful contribution. And, and, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm thinking that there will be rural bridges that will be constructed uh, because of this legislation. There will be meaningful improvements to our inland waterways system because of this, because of this legislation. But it's not going to be the panacea for all of our problems. And, you know, one of the things that, I think we need to keep our eyes on is it's one thing to pass a law, but it's another thing to execute it well. And that's one of the problems that we've had in our country for years, regardless of who's the president. Um, 
you know, you'll have a, a, a an apportionment of funding for a particular project, but yet, you know, it, it's behind schedule and it's over budget just because of the execution is so poor. And that's something that we really need to make some progress on, um, particularly at the federal level, but also at the state and local level. And so that's something that, you know, we need to, to remain focused on and really insist upon the taxpayer dollar being stretched as, as far as it possibly can. Yeah, I think that's a big concern. We're going to, we'll have to watch closely how this plays out. I also said earlier, one of the ironies of this is for years, one of the selling points of getting an infrastructure bill was the fact it would create jobs. Now, ironically, it gets passed at a time when we have all kinds of jobs anyway and don't can't get the workers to fill them. So that'll be another part of this. Yeah, you know, that that's always, you know, you know transportation and construction, it provides, you know, some really well-paying jobs. But um, and that's, that's clearly is one of the selling points of passing an infrastructure bill. But the, the real power of, of a bill like this is how it makes these industries that utilize it and the broader public more competitive. And the reality is transportation is a cost. It's a cost barrier between supply and demand. And you can either mitigate that cost by having a, a well-maintained, well-capitalized infrastructure or you can inflame that cost by having a decrepit, dilapidated infrastructure. And that's the choice that we have. And so when you make these investments in roads and bridges and inland waterway systems and all of these things in our ports and freight rail, you're, you're shortening the distance or you're making it more cost-effective to connect supply with demand. And for agriculture, that's really key to our profitability. So that's the real big power and selling point of investing in infrastructure, how competitive it makes us in the global marketplace which we've made that argument for years and pointed out that the longer you put it off, the more it was going to really cost. And you could, you know, hindsight's 20 but you look back and say, well, if you'd done some of these things 20 years ago, it wouldn't have cost as much or the need wouldn't have been as great as it is now. But, but at least we have it. I mean, we, we were getting to wonder if we'd ever get this. Yeah. And you know, that's, this is something that continues to, to infect the United States is this, spending mentality versus an investing mentality. And, you know, we like to spend money. We like to allocate funding today in exchange for immediate gratification. Investing is when you allocate funding today in exchange for value tomorrow, delayed gratification. And so um, we're very good at spending, not so good at investing. And if we really want to be a competitive economy, including agriculture, we have to have an investment mentality. You know, farmers do it on, on the farm every day. And, you know, I would just love to see more of that farmer mentality find its way to Washington, D.C. Yeah. We see other countries doing it, right? We've seen South America make improvements in their infrastructure. We, we see it in South America. We see it, you know, obviously in Asia. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's, and it's paying dividends for them. And, and, you know, we are living off a lot of the investments that were made in the 1950s or even before then. And, um, you know, we need to recapture that investment mentality. And, you know, this piece of legislation is certainly a step, but uh, the work certainly continues. Right. That's a good way to sum it up. It's a step, hopefully a step in the right direction. We'll keep a close watch on it. And, Mike, we'll stay in touch with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. Always good to be with you. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. So that's uh, one of the big issues, uh, one of the news items, of course, uh, climate continues to be a big story and how that drives different policy and the push for different policies a lot of things going on we'll check in with jerry hagstrom with the hagstrom report for an update next on aoa aoa is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. 
If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, 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 we are are the the foundation foundation fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And this week, we're talking with Matt Sertic, Health and Safety Manager at CHS, about farm safety reminders this fall and winter. Let's talk a little bit about line-of-fire safety hazards. What, what are we talking about here? And it's something that we talked a lot with our employees really across the country. And it might be kind of a new concept, but it really what it comes down to is body positioning, hand placement, Line of fire is in kind of that that direct path of where something can go. And the best way I like to look at this one is, you know, if I'm using a wrench and if all of a sudden I'm pulling on that wrench, where's my body placement? If I'm pulling it towards myself, what happens if that wrench slips? All of a sudden I put myself into what is the concept of line of fire and put myself into kind of an injury situation. So we talk a lot with our employees about thinking through the task at hand and looking for what we're trying to do. And am I in the best position or what am I exposing myself to if something should go wrong? For those still handling grain, what should farmers remember while they're working around grain bins? We know those are areas that can be very dangerous. What should folks be thinking about? Well, we talk a lot about grain bin safety. First and foremost is try not to enter if we can possibly do it. I mean, there's a lot of different situations that present a hazard or risk um, when you enter in a grain bin. But if we do have to go into these grain bins, making sure that we're locking them out, what that means is isolating that energy source, shutting off the augers that might be pulling out that grain from the bin, shutting off any of the conveyors that might be feeding that bin, but making sure we're we're really isolating those energy sources so we protect ourselves when we're in the bin. That's Matt Sertic, Health and Safety Manager at CHS. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's check in with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report, who is in North Dakota today. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Mike. 
It's good to talk to you. It's a beautiful day here in uh, in Bismarck, uh, but we hear that snow may be on the way. Hmm. Well, we also know that uh, we have an infrastructure bill passed, not yet signed, but passed. Uh, what are you hearing about the so-called Build Back Better? Uh, some are saying, those that are pushing for it are saying, uh-oh, we've kind of lost our leverage now that infrastructure is passed. We know that uh, there are moderate Democrats calling for CBO scoring on this. We know about the concerns raised by Senator Cinema and uh, Manchin. So what do you see how that's going to proceed now? Well, uh, all the leaders, that is Senator Schumer in the Senate, Senate uh, House Speaker Pelosi and President Biden, all say that the House will vote on this when they come back uh, next week, uh, and then the, and the, the Senate will take it up. Schumer has said he wants the Senate to, to take it up before Thanksgiving. So we will, uh, we will just have to see. Uh, what happens? Um, it's true that some are want to hold out for a CBO score, and we don't know how soon they will get that. It's such such a massive piece of legislation. Uh, but I guess I'd have to say at this point, I do think the Democrats will want will want to pass it because it's the o- it's the only way that they will be able to claim that they uh, can actually govern the country. Uh, so. Uh, We'll just have to see next week. This week is is uh, pretty much uh, nothing happening because the uh, a Veterans Day and the, both the House and the Senate have gone home for the for the week. CBO scoring of a especially a major bill that used to be kind of a part of the the process, right? Why has that uh, been pushed aside on this one? Well, the, uh, I would say the big problem has been that, that it's been unclear exactly what was going to be in the bill. There's been so much division about whether there would be family leave in the bill or uh, certain other pro- uh, programs to help people with children. Uh, massive programs. And so uh, when, the, when the Congress cannot decide what to put in there, uh, CBO can't score it. So that has slowed it down. I think the latest thing is that they are putting in something to uh, reduce uh, the cost of drugs, and whether that what implications that has for the federal budget, I don't know. But there would be some ability of the government to negotiate with the drug companies on pricing, um, and S- Senator Cinema agreed to that the other day, so um, that's in there now. You know, we're all kind of shake our heads when we know that they vote on bills that they don't even know everything that's in there that they haven't read it all uh and now you talk about voting for a bill that you don't know how much it's going to cost i mean that just doesn't seem to be responsible way of of governing well i would agree with you it's not ideal um uh and hopefully we will have more of a sense of what it's going to cost now there have been a couple of estimates by the joint congressional joint committee on taxation and i think the office of management and budget put out something but that's not the official score uh the only official score comes from the congressional uh congressional budget office uh in the meantime what i'm getting is uh uh is is press releases from nearly every agricultural group praising the passage of the infrastructure bill and people talking about the various uh, elements in it that they care a lot about. Uh, but it seems to me the most important is going to be the uh, the stuff for roads and bridges and also uh, and also broadband. Uh, but that's anyway that's what I'm hearing about this week. Mm-hmm. That's 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 the message I'm getting from everybody in agriculture. We still have the debt limit issue to deal with. That's right. December's going to be, a, and I think all of this comes to a head on the 3rd of December. So it's going to be November, the rest of November, early December are going to be really uh, uh, hot-button times in Washington. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been pushed aside or put on the back burner, but that's a that's a huge issue. They usually find a way to deal with it. I suppose they will, but, uh, yeah, that's going to bring things to, to a head. Any idea when the president's going to sign the infrastructure bill? Well, you know, that's, uh, what, 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 uh, what Biden said the other day was he's not going to sign it 
until people are back in Washington so that those who who played such a role in the bill, including Democrats and Republicans, because there were 19 Republican senators and 13 Republican House members who voted for the infrastructure bill, uh, he wants them to be able to come to the bill signing. So uh, I don't think it'll be this week. He's going to Baltimore on Wednesday to talk about the impact on the ports, and there were rumors he would sign it there. But the White House did not confirm that. So it may be next week before the bill gets signed. So it was urgent to pass it. It's just not urgent to sign it right now. Well, (laughs) you know Washington loves ceremony. And all these people, and this is, while the Build Back Better bill is controversial, the infrastructure bill has broad support, and people are going to want to be able to take credit for it. That's just the way it works. That's something that crosses the uh, political aisle, right? Both sides are like that. Yes, we may have differences uh, uh, across the aisle, but on that point, there, there is agreement. Never pass up a chance to pat yourself on the back. That's uh, that's kind of rule one of politics, I think. All right. Thanks a lot, Jerry. Good to talk with you, and enjoy your stay there in North Dakota. Thank you. There'll be more happening next week. Yep, we'll talk then. Thanks a lot. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. All right, that wraps it up for today. Uh, of course, uh, we have a report today. We're going to go over all those numbers tomorrow, get analysis and reaction of the uh, latest USDA numbers and more reaction to the infrastructure bill. As Jerry mentioned, I mentioned earlier, the ag groups are certainly happy to have this infrastructure bill passed and uh, each one taking a look at how they think it's going to best uh, benefit uh, their members and their segment of agriculture. We'll talk with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association about what's in it and not in it. Uh, That's coming up on tomorrow's program as well. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day. Hope you'll be with us again tomorrow right here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return, and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com slash retailer. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise. We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.